0: Hi everyone, this is Wesley Town. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Better Days Season Two. Today I have my friends Hannah and Rousseau with me. These are two of my best friends on planet Earth. In fact, my wife and I love them. We actually share a lot of similarities. My wife has gone through long-term health challenges and so has Hannah. Hannah's faced an immense amount of health challenges over a long period of time. She's an amazing person. Trust me, you're going to appreciate her story and you'll be encouraged today. Hannah and Rousseau actually both worked at Ecclesia. When I was the lead pastor, they were amazing. Both of them were on staff, right?
1: Yes, that's true. It was a blast working with you.
0: And uh, I love these two. We hung out in Southern California when they lived down there. But now they're back in Southern Oregon, where it's has a little more sun True. than Eugene, right? A little more, for sure. So Hannah started to have major health issues around 12 years old. Kind of share um, what took place at 12.
2: Okay, so when I was 12, I started bruising, like pretty hardcore and bleeding. And... One of the doctors found out that it was ITP, which is my body killing my platelets. And that was the start of like a whole new life for me at the age of 12. And I had like one of the most hardcore versions of the disease that doctors have seen since then.
0: And then at 16...
2: So they would taken my spleen out as like a cure for my blood disease. And it didn't work. still hasn't worked. But when I was 16, I got meningitis and encephalitis and... Ever since then, too, my life is like completely different. They had flown me to Portland, and they told my parents I was wasn't going to make it, but I did, obviously, because I'm right here. But it had left a scar on my brain, and that had caused focal seizures and grand mal seizures ever since then.
0: So after you were diagnosed with meningitis and encephalitis, you began to have seizures. How long do those last? Are they intermittent? Like,
2: dude, I was having like. Over 20 seizures a day, and it was changing. I, I was just a messed up person since then. And then I would just have random grand malls Um, yeah.
0: What's a grand mal seizure? What happens to somebody?
2: That's when you... I mean, I don't remember anything besides waking up in the hospitals or in the ambulance. But my parents are... And my parents and brother are the only ones who've seen me do it. Um... Yeah, I stopped breathing and yeah, and it makes my body hurt really bad. Oh, my brain just goes wild basically. So, and it was from the scar that I got in my brain from the meningitis.
0: So, from 16 on, you started having seizures on a consistent basis, and then at 23, uh, you were diagnosed with a heart disease, right? What what exactly is POTS?
2: Um, so my heart thinks that it's too small, like it's the other name for it is the Grinch disease, because it thinks it's too small. So it's like constantly going as hard as it can, because it's not getting enough blood into my head and constantly dizzy. And, um, and it doesn't even sound that bad. But that disease has been one of the most debilitating for me mm-hmm. because I can't stand upright or sit up a lot of times.
0: And then because of because of meningitis, you developed did you say brain scars? Yeah. Um,
2: I got a brain scar, a, a nice size guy.
0: And then at 25 and 27, you had two brain surgeries, right?
2: Yeah. The first one was laser because my doctor wanted it to be easier for me. And he thought that that would really help. Um, and it did for like a year, but then they came back pretty hard a year, little bit over a year later. And then they did an open school one, school one.
0: Hannah, you've been through so much. And what's interesting about our friendship is that Hannah has had a brain condition since she was 16. She's had multiple brain surgeries. My wife has a brain condition. And a lot of people don't understand how profound the effect is on your life when you have a brain condition or an injury to the brain and how it affects you socially, emotionally, relationally, like, um, just cognitively, every part of your life, uh, even things like having a difficult time sleeping. um, And I think that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to communicate on better days is not only hope, but educating people that suffering is hard. Uh, And there's so many layers of the effects of suffering on a human being Uh, And for somebody like Hannah, from 12 years old, um, through 27 was her last brain surgery and now living uh, in the wake of all of that. uh, You know, it's not just the physical aspects of a human that are affected by suffering. It's every aspect of a human. So it just doesn't, you know, some of you are listening and you can relate to this because you have major long term physical health conditions and challenges. And there's people in your life that don't understand that it's not just the physical you struggle with. It's the emotional, it's the relational, it's, it's your vocation. It's all aspects of your life. And I just want to encourage you today that, you know, hearing Hannah's story and what she's gone through, she's going to talk a little bit more about the challenges, but I want to encourage you that it's okay to struggle um, because Hannah's story is hard and painful and challenging, Um, And so is yours as you're going through long-term health challenges or mental health challenges. Uh, But uh, I think this is a great segue into the challenges that you've faced in long-term suffering. Uh, They're pervasive. They're widespread. uh, They have so many layers. Um, And I know Hannah and I have have talked a lot about this because um, humans often are the biggest challenge to the person suffering People love to come up with solutions uh, or they just don't want to talk about it. So there's just this awkwardness when the person who's suffering, that's their everyday life. So they they need people in their corner to be able to relate to them and talk to them. Um, So oftentimes it's us who are the biggest challenge. Uh, And I think that through a story like Hannah, we can learn a lot. So Hannah, what kind of challenges... Did you face, uh, with humans, uh, as you've gone through this long journey of suffering?
2: Um, I've been through a lot with humans. (laughs) Um, I felt very alone. I mean, I started doing all this as a 12 year old girl, Mm -hmm. so I've been very alone with all that, doing all this just alone because people aren't going through the same things. And that's been really hard and depressing, um,
0: and some of that loneliness isn't that there's not people around you. It's that they're not engaged. Yeah,
2: completely.
0: They haven't entered into her world and what, what she's facing on her journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what about like hurtful things that people have said? Has that come up quite a bit? All the time. What, what do people try to do as far as like when they come to you and you're in this state? Like what are, what are the type of things that people are trying to accomplish they- or trying to say to you?
2: They want to make me feel like they understand. So they'll compare themselves or even they'll even compare like their cat that had seizures or their dogs that had seizures. Like people used to tell me all their time about their animals that it would have seizures to like make me feel comfortable. Um, so that's just a perfect example of ways that people would talk to me.
0: So here's a little tip. Don't compare uh, something related to you with another person, because all suffering is different and unique and individual, and uh don't relate to somebody by kind of demeaning or diminishing what they're going through with something like in your family or you know something that happened to one of your animals like really zone in on what they're going through uh, and focus on them that's what they need long term suffering is a long journey, and along the way, I think you know people enter into our life and exit out of our life, what's one of the things that you've noticed as far as people um, minimizing your suffering journey, or maybe like feeling belittled in it? Do you feel like people have um, tried to ignore it or discourage you along the way?
2: Yeah, people have ignored it completely. Like unless they see, well, even if they do see me like in the ER, um, they'll they'll just completely ignore it and act as if everything's fine. And and even say to me, well, Hannah, you know, things are worse. Even when I came out of my second brain surgery, people were saying, well, Hannah, you know, things are worse. And I couldn't talk and I couldn't walk, right? I couldn't do anything right. But things were worse than other people.
0: Wow. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't say, I'm so ho- sorry, Hannah. They would say, you're better off than somebody else. Yeah.
2: And that's like the majority of things.
0: Another tip. Definitely don't do that because again, that's minimizing somebody else's pain. Uh, I don't think that any healthy relationship, you can't look at another person and what they're going through and try to find somebody that's going through something to a greater degree and compare those two. You want to enter in, you want to be compassionate and empathetic to what they're going through. Um, What about just thinking like you know, from 12, all the way to where you're at now. How does that affect you? uh, Just thinking about life and your future, and where you're at today?
2: Um, I'm still going through it. It's a lot. Like, I thought by now that I, I mean, growing up, I just thought I would be fine. I didn't think, oh, I'll have another disease. Oh, I'll have more seizures. Oh, I'll have another brain surgery. I just thought I would be fine by now. But I'm not. So it's still something I'm working through.
0: It can be discouraging.
2: Yeah, completely.
0: Uh What about like emotions? Like as you're on this spectrum of emotions on a long journey, what are some of the emotions that you felt along the way that other people listening can relate to?
2: Yeah, al- aloneness is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um Guilt, not for things that I've done, but people still make me feel guilty. For being the sick person. Hmm. So that's been a huge part of my life.
0: Like you're a burden?
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Uh, What about depression?
2: Oh, yeah. Depression. Anxiety. anxiety, stress. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty normal. So
0: you're basically, you're dealing with so many uh, challenging human emotions, Mm -hmm. uh, probably on a continual basis. They pop up.
2: Yeah, they they definitely pop up.
0: If, If somebody's listening today and they're the person connected to the person suffering. So they're the husband, the wife, uh, the best friend, mom, and they're related to a person on a long-term journey of pain and suffering. What are just a few things you would encourage them about um, in relating to that person that is directly connected to their life?
2: Um, Just to truly be there with the person truly caring for whatever that person's saying, whatever the doctors are saying to actually be there and listening instead of just letting it all run past them. And to even just saying, Hey, I love you. I mean, I tell people that all the time, just say, I love you. Mm. It doesn't need to be, well, Hannah, there's a fix for this. Just say, you know what, Hannah, I am so sorry. I love you. I tell people that all the time, just show them love. Don't show them,
0: that is the best advice. Show them love, nurturing words like I love you, I care about you. That is so helpful. Um, So if you're on the end of being directly connected to somebody who is on a journey of pain, suffering, mental health, I want to encourage you to take that advice to be there for them, to understand what they're going through, and to let them know that you genuinely care for them and love them. And here's what not to do. Hannah said, don't try to fix them. Again, the reason we try to fix people is because we're uncomfortable with their pain and suffering. And I think when the journey is long, we really become uncomfortable because it's discouraging and defeating and we want a solution. But sometimes the solution is for you to be understanding and to become more loving. So that is amazing advice, Hannah. I love you and appreciate you so much. And I'm so grateful that you shared a little bit about your story. I think there's a lot of people that will relate. Hannah is also a very talented, gifted person. She's a photographer. She's a social media, okay, like shameless. giant uh, <laughs> legend. What's your, what's your Instagram? Uh,
2: by Hannah Rose
0: by Hannah Rose that's right so make sure to follow her and she shares by the way she shares about her story uh, on her Instagram and she also blogs once in a while so I just encourage you guys to follow along to this talented impactful human being that is one of my best friends and I appreciate so much Rousseau is here her husband and he's coming from another end his end is walking along with her on this journey, and learning along the way, I think for the person who's related to the person suffering, there's a huge learning curve, you're going to fail a lot. But that's okay, because you're human. But hopefully you're growing as well. And growing in relational awareness and self awareness and how to treat people. So Rousseau, thanks for joining me. Love you, man. Uh, So for you, why don't you share a little bit about your journey? What you've learned in loving her and supporting her, how you've failed along the way and like how you've been reshaped to relate to her better, where you're sitting now presently.
1: Yeah, um the truth of the matter is um as far as like really growing, um we've been married 7 years this summer and um the steps of growth have really only taken place in the last maybe year and a half, maybe 2 years. And um there was a a big period of time where I didn't realize that the problem was not Hannah. Um, the problem was me and my discomfort towards her suffering and um trying to rescue her out of it rather than like you said, being willing to enter into it and step into it. So that that was the I mean, it took five years for me to even get to the point where I realized, hey, this isn't about um Trying to fix Hannah and and um, rescue her from all of the depression and discouragement and darkness she was going through. What I need to do is be willing and and able to step into that. And um, I've I've never done a great job of that. But I think these last few years is when um, I began to at least realize I need to start taking steps into her brokenness, not try to um, rescue her or heal her from her brokenness.
0: That's so good, Rousseau.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest lesson. Um, I think if I could share just like for the first five years of our marriage, um, Hannah, after I would offer her encouragement or positive things or hopeful words or Bible verses or whatever it was to try to rescue her out of it, um, she would she wouldn't respond receptively. She would say, "Rousseau, you don't get it. Sometimes she'd say it just like that. Sometimes a little bit more frustrated uh, because the truth was I didn't get it, but I didn't get what I didn't get. You know, I wasn't sure what I was missing um, until um, you know, it's, it's a really hard story to share. But um, after her first brain surgery, one day we were walking and um, we were just out for a walk and she was still just recovering from her brain surgery. And um she had just had a miscarriage um sh- she had uh still a lot of am i missing something
2: my seizures had started again
1: yeah her seizures had started up again and he- here we are walking and i'm thinking i'm you know being so self-sacrificing by walking with her and talking with her and trying to encourage her and then um i brought kids back up again and i said you know when do you think you might be ready to have kids and and she said rousseau you don't get it and and again, it just flashed in my mind. What don't I get? Why does she always say that? And then she said something that really changed my life. She said, you don't live in the same reality as me. You don't live in the same universe as me. I live in this place where I can't change any of these things. It's not up to me to decide when kids or when seizures stop or when any of this depression and suffering and and diseases pass that's not up for me to decide and you don't live in the same reality as me as my
2: second brain surgery was being talked yeah
1: she was she was already in contact with her doctors about getting a second brain surgery and here am i on this you know just ultimate, hyper optimistic, positive thinking, and just thought that that was the solution was just being encouraged, being encouraging and being hopeful. And when she said that, like that really rocked my world. I remember going home and just having a a, a moment of clarity, probably for the first time, it shook me out of this, um, you know, out of this, I don't even know what to call it other than cheap hope. Um, I had this cheap hope that everything was always fine. Everything had a silver lining, everything would be good. And that was the moment where I took the first step into realizing, I need to actually step into her reality and step out of my sugar coated rainbow world, if I'm ever gonna, um, you know, see life through her eyes, rather than try to rescue her out of the darkness, I need to, you know, step into it. Um, That's really good. You know, I think, uh,
0: on both spectrums, people that Are listening, you're a follower of Jesus, and then people are listening who aren't followers of Jesus. You're not a Christian. I think this is a really impactful story for us because I think it just paints a picture of what Rousseau is saying is that we genuinely do not know in our culture how to enter into people's pain. We've been conditioned in a culture that is uncomfortable with pain, suffering, mental ill health. Uh, and therefore, we hide from it, or we mask it with platitudes and cheap hope. You know, I call it rah-rah hope, like I'm going to pump you up. Uh, you see this sometimes in Christianity, like I'm going to just pump you up and like, tell you all these cliches, but that doesn't help. I I use this term honest hope. Honest hope to me means we can feel the pain we can live in the reality of brokenness, imperfection, and suffering. And we can also be hopeful, um, hopeful in our relationship with God, hopeful for our future, hopeful that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that there's better days ahead. So it doesn't ha- you know, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. They're connected. And the reason why we have hope is because there's pain. Without pain, there wouldn't be a need for hope. Without suffering, without imperfection, there would be no need for hope. And so, you know, hope sometimes for somebody that is suffering in a, in a story like this is, you know, we need to be able to feel this. We need to be able to experience it. We need to be able to live in the same reality together. It's hard.
1: There's this verse in Proverbs that uh, confirms everything you guys are saying. It says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. And when I read that, it made me realize like I was singing songs to Hannah. I was giving her K-love, positive, encouraging music like as as a. Um, not literally, but just as a way to try to get her out of it. But she was living in the book of Lamentations, so to speak. And that that's a different space. And um, that's been a a huge journey to realize mature Christianity is not this triumphalistic, always joyful, overly hopeful in just cheap hope. It's actually doing what Jesus did, weeping with those who weep, willing to being willing to step into brokenness rather than avoid it, you know, because that's as a Christian, for me, that's been really uh, impactful to know that God didn't just give us words of encouragement from heaven. He actually was willing to come down and step into the brokenness and into the darkness and feel the grief and sorrow so that he could empathize with us.
0: Yeah, and I talked about that today. Like, mm-hmm. it, there's a verse in Isaiah 53, 3 that says, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. And the terminology there is really vivid of how he felt mental anguish and pain and sickness. Uh, and that that's the reality we live in life. Sometimes is really hard. And for some of you listening, your life is really hard. And there's no way to sugarcoat that. But there is a way for people to love you, care about you, show you kindness, enter into what you are going through and understand it from your vantage point. Uh, and I think I think One of the things that we can do together as you're listening, we can do this together is to begin to deconstruct uh, how we respond to pain, suffering, and mental health in our culture. No more hiding from it. And no more trying to fix it. Because imagine my wife, Kara, or Hannah, imagine all of these relationships in their lives and everybody always having a solution or trying to fix it. Fix it. it is overwhelming. Uh, the person who's facing the suffering already wants to be fixed. They're already looking for ways and paths. And, you know, for everybody to have a solution, it, it ends up exasperating their pain uh, more than helping them. And so I think we need to, to end the cycle of trying to give everybody a fix. We need to end the cycle of hiding from it and suppressing it. We need to enter into it and truly, like Hannah said, I think this is this is the words we're gonna end with. Truly love the person. Like with genuine, genuine affection and genuine care and genuine understanding. I love you two so much. And I'm so grateful that our lives have been connected and that we've been able to encourage one another. And I think we live in a unique space where there's just a built-in understanding because of shared experience. And I am so grateful to have them on this podcast, Better Days. And I think that that's the message I just encourage you uh, and and what you're going through is that, you know, each and every day, remember, there's better days ahead. But that doesn't minimize the hardships in front of you or the hardships you're going to face in the future. But keep speaking hope and purpose into your life because you two are immensely talented, valuable, important people. And I love you guys deeply. And I'm so grateful that you get to share your story with us. Much love. Thanks for joining us. I look forward to sharing with you next Tuesday on another episode of Better Days. Yes, Shaka. Shaka, <laughs> Shaka love you guys. That's a wrap for today. Thanks again for joining me. This is a new podcast and I would love for your help to spread the word to bring hope for better days to as many people as possible. You can send a link to your family and friends, post something on your social media and write a review on iTunes. Thanks for your support. I can't wait to join with you next Tuesday for another episode of Better Days.